0: Right. Well, like uh, Scott said, last week we started walking our way through the letter of Romans, the letter to the Romans. Uh, just a quick recap. This letter is different than Paul's other letters in that, um, well, in a couple different ways, but one of the main differences is that this was written to a church that he did not plant. He didn't start this church. Um, he'd never been to this church even to visit. And so he hasn't been able to have the opportunity to clear, clearly lay out the fundamentals of the good news, the foundations of faith, um, those those things that that drive what it means to be a new covenant believer uh, compared to what it meant to be a Jewish believer. And so he, he wanted to lay out what does it mean to be a new covenant believer and how does that affect the life of a Christian. In the last message, we talked about how we, just like Paul, we're not just set apart from we're not just set apart from the world and the trappings of the world and temptations of the world but we're set apart to uh something we're we're set apart to living out the nature of jesus we're we're going to be a light we're going to be a visible form of who god is of of who jesus is we're going to show his love his character qualities are going to shine through us and so and we're also going to carry his mission we're going to carry the mission of jesus out into the world. One of the ways uh, we can do this is by being able to share the gospel. Um, Last week we looked at a a tool that is basically just a list of verses that are found in the book of Romans, known as Romans Road to Salvation. Um, It clearly lays out the condition of man, the punishment of sin, the payment for our sin, and also it tells of salvation through Jesus from condemnation and from death. And so I made a challenge last week for us to put these verses to memory um, because when we memorize them, uh, all we have to do if we want to share the good news in a clear fashion is just know the verse and say, what did that mean to me? What does that mean to me in my relationship with God? How did that change my life? What, What did I experience in the form of that verse? And so I wrote a short example of what that might look like. There's some copies in the foyer if you didn't get one last week. Um, You can pick one of those up, but to help us out with the challenge, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to read through those verses again. If you're like me, hearing them one time, not that you probably haven't heard them before in the past, but if we hear them a couple weeks in a row, it kind of helps lock them into our minds. So we're going to read the verses again. Um, Just another side note, uh, like I mentioned last week, we're reading these in a new living translation. If you have them memorized in a different translation, that is fine. I'm not a new living translation only person, so... Um, That's fine, but uh, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to read through these five verses in this version of Romans Road to Salvation, starting with Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And Romans 10, 9 through 10, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart, that you are made right with God and is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And lastly, Romans 8, 1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Amen? Isn't that good news? Some of you guys were, were reciting along. I was I was debating whether I wanted you to read it along with me or not. I thought, well, maybe in a future week, but, you know, it, it helps, you know, when you speak it for yourself, it helps you memorize it and get it in your head. So um, that's good. Uh, you know, I, I know maybe it seems a little bit like, you know, kids Sunday school class a little bit, but we're, we come here to be equipped for the work of the ministry. So this is memorizing these verses that we can use to share the gospel is a, Part of why we come here. So, all right, Uh, as we go through the book of Romans, we're going to see four main themes uh, today, uh, starting today and going through the first few chapters. We're going to have a few few messages on this. The main theme is the wrath of God. Then we're going to learn about the grace of God then the plan of God, and then many, many months from now, we're going to learn about the will of God. So if you're really anxious to hear about the will of God, there's no rules against, you know, going ahead and reading ahead of us. So um, by the time, if you read it tomorrow, you know, you'll probably need a refresher by the time we get there anyways. All right. Um, Like I said, these first few chapters have to do with the wrath of God, which is probably not a message that people go searching for a lot. In fact, I... I was curious, so I thought I'd do a little search, and so I looked up most most common sermons. I I got a list of the 75 most popular sermons preached today. The wrath of God and the anger of God were not on the list. So it's just not one of the more popular things to talk about. Um, But it's an essential characteristic of who God is, and we need to know about it and we need to understand it. It's, it's foundational. It's the beginning. I think that's why it's at the beginning of the book of Romans. We're starting with the wrath of God to start with, <laughs> with where we were at in the beginning. Uh, I think um, we got a little wrath going on back there. <laughs> All right. Um, hungry. Wrath, hung, <laughs> wrath hunger. Hunger, wrath, I know. anyway, um, when when we think about the wrath of God, it can produce an image in our mind that doesn't always fit the way we normally think of God, um, and I think that's understandable. I was thinking about it in terms of my dad. I was thinking when I think of my dad, <laughs> it's going to get scary here. Uh, <laughs> specifically, in context to when I was a child, I don't normally think of the times that he was really, really, really mad at me. Okay, That's not, that's not the, the image that I have when I think of him. Um, I don't picture him as an angry father constantly looking to punish me every time I made a wrong choice. Uh, his, uh, his anger at my actions... Sorry, I had to handwrite this in here and I can't read my own writing. <laughs> his, his anger at my actions that resulted in punishment... Uh, would not be my first description of who he is. It's not, that's not the first thing I think of when I think of my dad. Um, but it was a characteristic that he had as he was raising me. Uh, in fact, he would not have been a very good father if he had not had that characteristic, if that wasn't part of it. Uh, today, when I go to a park or a restaurant and I see a child misbehaving, and I see a parent get stern with them, maybe even take them out to the car for some consequences of their behavior, I think to myself, that's a good parent. That's, that's a good parent. I may not know them, but I have a level of respect for them because they don't let bad behavior go unpunished. And they're likely raising up that child to someday be a well-behaved, you know, productive, law-abiding citizen. You know? um, and so it's good. There has to be that characteristic. Um, parents, though, are not perfect examples of how to respond to disobedience. As a parent myself, I know that there's times that um, I have not been perfect in how I respond to my kids. Uh, I think all parents have experienced that at some point, and I think that we all have, ex- have, have experienced it for ourselves as children in how our parents uh, responded to us. Sometimes parents get tired, they get stressed, they just run out of patience. And the wrath that's poured out is maybe a little bit out of control. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit uh, impulsive. Uh, the wrath, uh, it, it it can come out as as uh, anger that's not weighed, it's not measured, it's not done deliberately um, to to a particular end result. Instead, it's spontaneous. Uh, it, can, it, can, it can jump out in harsh words or too severe of a reaction. And, and that experience that we all have either as a child or as the parent um, might taint the way we think of wrath when we think of the wrath of God. Um, but the wrath of God is anger under control. God doesn't run out of patience. Um, God isn't going to fly off the handle. He's not going to accidentally go too far in his judgment. God is a perfect judge, but He's also a loving father. Right? It's not we don't immediately think of God as a God of wrath because He's also many other things. And and when you're in right standing with Him, you think of Him as a loving father. This distinction is not meant to minimize God's anger towards sin and wickedness, or to minimize the severity of the punishment but it's to distinguish between God's anger and human anger that's sometimes out of control and impulsive and and even sometimes incorrect. Sometimes we can misjudge situations and and our wrath can be poured out in a place that it's not deserved. But that's not God's wrath. God doesn't make those mistakes. God hates sin, but his response, his his wrath against sin, is measured appropriately and. And oftentimes, the punishment is postponed because God is not just a just judge sentencing the world for their sin, but he's also a loving creator. In today's uh, court systems, if if there was a judge and he happened to be the parent of a defendant, he would have to recuse himself. He, He wouldn't be trusted to make a fair judgment. But God... Is just, even though he has a relationship with us, even though he loves us, he's just, and in accordance to his very nature, he must pass down the sentence that fits the crime. God's not just a just judge; judges are ones that kind of apply the law, but he's also the law giver, uh, and more than the law giver, he is the origin of what the law is. The, the law is based on his character. It's based on who he is. He is the standard that the law is based on. So every law that is broken is an offense to his very nature. It's an offense to his actual character because it's against who he is. Whatever is right, whatever is wrong is originated from him. He, I mean, that's how we know what is right and what is wrong. Sin is an insult against the very nature of God and thereby rightfully angers him. Rightfully angers him. So though our sin stirs up God's anger as he is the lawgiver and the origin of law and his righteous nature demands that he judge justly, that that any wrongdoing has the consequence it deserves, as a loving creator, he postponed judgment and he made a way for atonement for those who make use of his loving patience and receive the gift of atonement that he provided. Um, there's a good example of this that we find in the Old Testament that kind of further uh, shows this character trait of God. This isn't something that just showed up when Jesus came. But he, he, dis- he dis- displayed that this is part of who he is um, back in Hosea in chapter 11. Uh, we read that it says, "When Israel was a child, I loved him and called my and I called my son out of Egypt, but the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me, offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand, but he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck. I myself stooped to feed him. But since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt and will be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trampling them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the most high, but they don't truly honor me. Oh, how can I give up Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Z- Zabon? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. no. I will not unleash fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion, and when I roar, my people will return trembling from the west like a flock of birds they will come from Egypt trembling like doves they will return from Assyria and I will bring them home again says the lord god had a plan not just to deal with the sins of israel justly but also to make a way so that someday they could be restored to him so he mercifully held off wrath that they deserved he he could have just wiped them out completely but he's not just a just judge. He's also a loving creator. The same way he held off the wrath that we deserved, he held off the wrath that they deserved. God is a lawgiver, the judge, and a loving creator. So, as a lawgiver, he's filled with fierce anger. As judge, he must see that the penalty for sin is paid in full. But as loving father, he chose to take upon himself the guilt for our sin and the penalty of our sins and die in our place. And that's the good news, right? That's the good news. We, we, were, we were in a tough place. We had no way out, but God came to die in our place in the form of Jesus Christ. That's the backdrop behind this whole letter, as Scott said. Um, there's, a, there's a particular verse that kind of led into this whole book that kind of um, that we have to keep in mind as we go through that uh, even as we look at his wrath, his grace, his plan, and his will, the backdrop is the gospel, regardless of which one of those topics, topics it is. Um, looking again at Romans 16, uh, 1, 16 and 17, it says, "For I am not ashamed, Of the good news about Christ, it is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. That's what we're going to be focusing on: how God makes us right in His sight. That's that's step one. So, what is a step one? Whenever you are trying to fix a problem, you know, step one is uh, admitting you have a problem, right? (laughs) Right. So, so without Jesus, this is here's the problem: without Jesus, we are not right in God's sight. So, we're going to be looking at how to be made right in God's sight. We're not. We're not, without Jesus, we're not right in God's sight. Um, Romans 1, 18 through 20, uh, we're just going to read the first part here. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people. Now pause there. So who falls into the category of all sinful, wicked people? We read before in Romans three twenty three. for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Okay, so... Um, God's anger, God's wrath was against everyone, everyone. When somebody is angry with you, uh, you're, you're not right in their sight. Like it says that we're, you know, we're trying to figure out how to be made right in God's sight. When somebody's angry with you, you're not right in their sight. And uh, how big of a problem that is kind of determined is, is determined by your relationship with the person and also their ability to affect your life. You know, their, their, their power to affect your life. So a few examples here. If a guy passes you on the road because he thinks, you know, and he's mad at you because he, he thinks you're going too slow and he's been stuck behind you, you know, um, not, not a real big problem. It's, you know, his anger against you. You might not be right in his sight, um, but, but uh, that's not a real big problem. He doesn't have any control over your life. Um, if your small child is angry with you because they can't get their way, uh, there's a little bit more of a problem. You have a relationship with them. You're going to have to, to work through this, this, you know, the fact that they're upset, but they don't have any control over your life. So it's not a huge problem. Um, if you're trying to get a, a loan at a bank and for some reason the loan officer has something against you, they don't like you, that could be a little bit of a problem. You don't have a, a close relationship with them, but they can affect your life. They can they can stop you from being able to get the loan that you want to get. Now, if your spouse is angry with you, that's, that gets to be a bigger problem because <laughs> that that hits you on both fronts. And you have a relationship with them that that you want to maintain, and they have the ability to affect your life. And so um so each each one of those scenarios has a varying amount of uh attention that's required because of it, but none of those come close to comparing uh comparing to incurring the wrath of God. We incurred the wrath of God as for a relationship with him that that's why we were created. we were created. To have a relationship with Him, without a relationship with Him, we don't even have life. Like, like uh, this is temporary without Him. We, we, we're going to lose life without Him. Our relationship is is where we, where we came from. It's why we exist. It's it's where we're headed if we we're to continue in life. Um, as for His ability to affect our life and plans, He is the all powerful Judge, and with a whisper, we can be gone. I mean the effect on our life, he has the ability to affect our life. Step one is admit you have a problem. The all-powerful creator, the source of life is angry with us and punishment is imminent. We have a problem. We have a problem. Um, Going back to our text, Obviously, this is this is step one. You guys know there's uh, that's not where we end. If we ended there, we'd really have a problem. Uh, but, uh, all right, continuing into our text, uh, it said, but God shows his anger from heaven against us. Where are we located in there? Yeah, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he... Made it obvious to them for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God so wickedness or wicked um, that's any anything that is opposed to Or contrary to the nature of God. That is considered wicked. Anything that is opposed to or contrary to the nature of God and his standards. Um, Because what they desire is wicked, they desire to suppress the truth, both in their own hearts, and later we're going to read that they try and suppress it in, in those around them. Even though the truth is obvious. Even though the truth is obvious. If you are a grown adult, you've almost definitely at some point in your life thought about the origins of of life or the earth or the solar system. If if it wasn't by your own um, decision to think about it, you've you've heard it in school or or in conversations with somebody, um, where did it all come from? And if you don't come to the simple conclusion that there has to be an intelligent, powerful creator, the Bible is saying... That you are suppressing the truth. You're 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 avoiding what is obvious. Nature declares that there is a God. It, nature declares that there is a God. Uh, the world may have made it seem confusing, but nature declares that there is a God. Human nature, is corrupted by sin, wants to find an alternative truth. We want to overcomplicate the situation in attempt to excuse our decision. To be sovereign over our own lives, to, to excuse why we want to deviate from God's plan and go a different way. But nature clearly it says that clearly shows that there is a God, and in the, the examples in nature are numerous. There's one example that I heard that I really like that um, that I think it was uh, Ray Comfort that that I heard if you've listened to him, but he and this is. Kind of a little bit of a variation, but he said, um, if you think about a car, let's say you see a person who has a really nice car, and you ask them, oh, what make is it? And they say, oh, it doesn't have a make. I, I found it out in the woods, and uh, it just formed there over you know thousands of years. It just became all on its own. Okay, now you would think that's ridiculous, right? Because you can look at it, and you can tell that it was built with a purpose. Um, all of its components work together towards that same purpose. Therefore, there must have been an intelligence behind it. There was an intent behind it. It, it didn't just happen. Um, if you look at the car, there's a windshield that just so happens to be at head height if you were sitting in the car in front of the seat that has all the controls. Like that's that's very convenient that that just happened to be there. Um, also, the windshield has windshield wipers that can wipe away rain and snow. It happens to have these these squirters that can squirt liquid that can help clean away bugs and debris. Um, you know that that didn't just happen on accident. <laughs> it just—it's ridiculous. Um, and that's just the windshield, you know that's just the windshield the car has all kinds of systems that help it function well there's there's things to control the heat in the engine to lubricate the cylinders to transfer the power to the to the wheels it's obvious that this didn't happen by random chance that's just silly um the same is true when we look at creation when we look at our bodies for instance like the car we have eyes that we can see with right it would be you know like civilization would look a lot different if, if nobody had any eyes, um, we have eyes that we can see with, and they just happen to be located at a height where they're not going to, you know, get dust kicked up and they're not down on our shins. You know, they're where you can see over small op, op uh, obstacles. Um, they, they are forward facing, you know, like it, it would be weird if we always had to walk backwards cause our eyes were in the back. Like they were, they were put in a right place for a purpose. Um, they uh, have. We have eyelids that help protect them, that help um, wipe away excess water from them. We have tear ducts that help to lubricate the eyelids and to wash out dirt and bugs, like the windshield. Um, and just like the car, our bodies have many complex systems. You know, that's just the eyes. We have... Um, these different things that help us be able to move around, to regulate our heat, to heal from sicknesses, cuts, and and uh, scrapes, and even broken bones will heal. We have a system for refueling to give us energy and to reproduce new life. To suppose that all of this happened just by random chance is suppressing the obvious truth. I mean, it. If nobody was out there trying to convince you and trying to make the the alternate option seem true, it, it's it would it's ridiculous. But because it becomes prevalent, because there becomes a number of people that believe it, um, people start to consider, they start to get confused. They start to say, well, you know, all those people think that it's right. Well it's 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 stupid. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm getting that from the word. So just wait and see. <laughs> uh, all of creation displays God's eternal power and divine nature for which he is worthy of praise and honor but even without an excuse for not knowing him they deny him and they deny the honor that he is due and that incurs the wrath of god romans 1 through 23 says yes they knew god but they would not worship him as god or even give him thanks And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. It's silly. (laughs) <laughs> Suppressing the truth with their wickedness, they began to come up with their own gods. And what happened? It says they became utter fools. Back in uh, verse 20, it said that through creation, we can clearly see God's invisible qualities. In nature, in, in God's creation, you can see there's uh, cycles of seasons that facilitate um, the life cycles of the plants. Uh, we can see how the speed and the rotation and the distances between planets and the solar system, the effects of the moon on the tides of the ocean, all work together to cause life to flourish. We can see how the food chain supports life. There's no gaps in it that would cause mass extinctions. Uh, we, can, we can see how plants and animals were designed to interact with each other, to reproduce and continue on life. God, God's design brings order and it brings life. These are some of the, the invisible qualities that we can see in nature that, that are part of God. They bring order, they bring life. But as wicked people propose to... Um, but, but as the wicked um, purpose to suppress truth and make up their own truth, the result... Is darkness and confusion, a lack of order, and a lack of life. There's a lack of order and a lack of life. If you're not walking according to the design, according to the plan, it just doesn't work right. It doesn't function. You don't end up with the same result. Today in our culture, the deviation from what is obvious truth is more apparent than it's been in any of our lifetimes. But it's not new. This deviation from truth isn't new. Even when Paul wrote this to the early church, it wasn't new. Jeremiah spoke of it back in 600 BC, and even when he spoke of it, it was not new. But, but this is what he said in Jeremiah 10 8 through 12, he said, People who worship idols are stupid and foolish. Like I say, the Bible said it, not me. <laughs> the things they worship are made of wood. They bring beaten sheets of silver from Tarshish and gold from Ufaz, and they give these materials to skillful craftsmen who make their idols. They dress them, they dress these gods, they're kind of like their dolls. They, their, god, their god can't even dress themselves. But they dress these gods in royal blue or in royal blue and purple robes uh, made by expert tailors. But the Lord is the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. The whole earth trembles at his anger. The nations cannot stand up to his wrath. Say this to those who worship other gods, your so-called gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will vanish from the earth and from under the heavens. But the Lord made the earth by his power and he preserves it by his wisdom With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. Wicked people's rejection of God for foolish ideas and man-made gods is an offense to the true and living God and everlasting King. And the earth will tremble at his anger, and the nations will not be able to stand up against his wrath. Moving back to Paul's letter, continuing on in verse 24. It says, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. I'm going to pause there. That is why God abandoned them to their shame, shameful desires. Why did he abandon them? It says, because they traded the truth of God for a lie. They, they truly abandoned him first. They abandoned the truth of God for a lie and gave Worship, the worship that he was worthy of, the, worthy, the worship that he was due, they gave to worthless, man made, foolish images and ideas that have no power, they have no life, and, are, and, and the worship of them and the, the actions of following them is in direct opposition to the very nature of God the Creator. So, continuing on, the, the, so there's the obvious design of God. It's obvious, but it was confused in their mind to the point that it says even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned for lust with each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. They turned against the natural way that displayed God's invisible qualities that brings life, that has order. They turned against them. In the beginning, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He made them as a set. They made them as a team. They made them compatible for procreation and for family structure. All of the natural, all of nature displays this order. All of nature displays this order. It's from creation, from the foundation, from the very beginning. This this is the foundation, not the foundation of faith, it's the foundation of who we are as human beings created to to bring glory and honor to God. All of creation displays the order of, of God, but they suppress even that obvious truth, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserve. And that's the worship team to come. Now, just to be clear, some people might read that and uh, the the part about you know the penalty that they deserve um, that, and and they might be almost get excited about it, um, but that's. Just because they deserve it, that's not what God desires for them. Just because they deserve it doesn't mean that that's God's desire. Um, We're not supposed to read and say, yeah, they're going to get what they deserve. (laughs) Thankfully, we're not going to get what we deserve. Like we don't, God's desire is not that they get what they deserve, but he is a just judge and he will judge accordingly. Um, Some of us, uh, some people, you know, and maybe even us at times, you know, we see some of these pride events where, where the truth is being actively suppressed and spread around. And we, we can get angry at that. And that's not wrong to be angry at, at the suppression of truth, right? But our response is not to, should not be to respond to the people in hate. God is a just God, but He's a loving creator. And and we are supposed to carry on his characteristics, not just the one characteristic, but both. And so we respond with hate and anger towards the sin. You can do that. You can hate sin. That, that's okay. Um, but with love for the person, for the that was created in his image, with the desire that he they would bring glory to his name. And and honest and Jesus, you know, when he died, he did it so that we could be redeemed and renewed. That would bring even more glory to his name. We don't sin to try and bring more glory to God by his redemptive power, um, but, but there is a glory that's brought to the name of God when a sinner is redeemed and made whole again. A little off track and lost my spot here. Um, but their minds and their rejection, when they reject God, their minds became dark and confused. They are lost in darkness and they are in need of light. In need of light, not hate. God's ultimate plan is not for them to receive the penalty they deserve, but Jesus paid the penalty for them, um, desiring that one day they would receive him and come out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Right? First uh, Peter 2 says that they stumble because they do not obey God's word, but then in verse 9 it says, but you are not like that. We were like that, but you are not now like that. You are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So God's plan is that we would show people the goodness of God and that he would then call them into his wonderful light. We display it, he calls them. It calls him into right standing with him. That's our goal, right? How can we be made right with God? But we're not to that part yet. (laughs) We're still in in chapter one. We're still in the wrath of God. We're still recognizing the problem um, that we have because we have ignored the plan of the creator. Uh, We remember back in Jeremiah, he said that God preserves all creation by his wisdom. He preserves all creation by his wisdom. If God preserves creation... By his wisdom, the opposite, human's foolishness, that's the opposite of God's wisdom, is human foolishness. God's wisdom preserves, human foolishness destroys. Here's the result as we continue on in Romans. Here's the result of human foolishness. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's re- justice requires that those who, Who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Man's foolishness leads to disorder, it leads to pain, it leads to sorrow, it leads to hurt, and it leads to death. But our hearts are wicked from birth. We're born with a sin nature and we chase after that. It's foolishness. But God's creation displays the nature of God, displays that there is a God, displays that there is a different way. Man was created in the image of God. We were created to reflect back to God his glory and his greatness, bringing praise and honor to the only living God and everlasting King. But because Satan's rebellion against God, he tempted Eve and sin came into the world. Sin is an offense to the very nature of God. And that sin would be committed, that sin would be committed by those who are his image bearers, that those who were created to bear the image of God, that sin would be created by us is an abomination that invokes the wrath of a holy and righteous God. Sin infected all of mankind. Our hearts became wicked and the desire to rebel against God is in everybody so that we could be our own gods, establish our own truth, our own standards to fulfill our own greedy and lustful desires. We earned the wrath of the Almighty God. The wages of sin is death. The wages. We earned the wrath of the Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, and we and our own power have no way to fix it. Our sin invoking the righteous wrath of God was our problem. The love of God was the solution for all mankind through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we're going to end. We're not going to end on the note of 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 just the wrath of God, but let's end uh, by reading ahead a little bit. Romans 5, 8 Through 11. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his Son while we were still his enemies, we will, clear, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. We are friends with God. When we look at God, we don't see him. As Christians, we don't see him as a God of wrath because our sin, our cause for his anger has been taken away it's been paid for. The penalty uh, that's required by the just judge of the universe has been paid and the lawgiver is no longer uh, angered at us. We no longer have the wrath of the Almighty, but we now have the love of the Creator who created us for relationship with us and life and life eternal. That is good news, though the word good news doesn't seem strong enough. That is the greatest news that the world has ever heard and it is the solution to the only real problem that that really really needs solving. Um, let's let's pray before we close and sing. Lord Jesus, I just thank you. I praise you. I give you glory and honor. I give honor to the to the eternal King, the loving Father, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who is worthy. Of all honor and all praise, Lord, we give you what is due to you, Lord. Having been restored through your Son to right standing with you, Lord, we're able to call you Abba, Father. We're able to call you our friend, Lord. We're so thankful that we are no longer under the wrath, the impending wrath of a holy God, Lord, (laughs) but we've made a 180 degree transition. We've been separated from our sin farther than the east is from the west. And we are now standing, looking up at a father that looks at us with love. And we can look at you with love. We can come to you boldly. We can can talk to you. We can commune with you. Lord, you are our God. You are our king and you are our savior, Lord. And uh, we commit our lives to living according to your holy standard. Lord, and we commit our lives to being a light to those who are confused and lost uh, in darkness that, that have had the truth suppressed in them either by their own desires or by their own desires coupled with the world around them, um, suppressing that truth and encouraging that, that deviation from your standard and your plans. Lord, let us be a light. Let us show the truth. Let, it, let us point out how it is clearly displayed in all of creation, Lord God. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, that your Holy Spirit would minister through us and to those around us as we carry your word into the world, Lord. Lord, it's incredible when we when we look at that <laughs> that, that great exchange, when we look at that great transition from being under the wrath of God to being his children. Just. It puts all of life in perspective. It puts our purpose. It puts our planet into perspective. It is the foundation, Lord, from creation. We were created to bring you glory, to have a relationship with you, um, we're not carriers of some sort of uh, made-up ideas, of some sort of uh, foolish religion, Lord God. We're carriers of the, of the truth, the gospel, the, the knowledge of, the obvious knowledge of, of a God that is a loving creator that should be at the core of our lives, at the core of how we live, how we purpose, how we spend our time and our energy, Lord. We were created for you and we were redeemed for a purpose, Lord Jesus. Let us carry that. Let us uh, remember where we were and where we are, Lord. And uh, it's just, it's just, like I say, it's the foundation. It's foundation. Part of the gospel message is the wrath of God. You know, <laughs> we, we every week we close saying we're going to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, carrying the good news of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. People have to know, not not a you know you're going to get what you deserve. Knowledge of the wrath of God, but there's a there's a there's a day where there's going to be a reckoning that the wrath that's being stored up is going to be poured out. And it's, it's tolerant to all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have the solution. We have the cure. Let's bring it out into the world so that they might be saved, that they can be brought into his wonderful light. Because that's the mission of Jesus. It's the mission of our Savior. And it brings glory to the God, the creator of the universe, who made us to have a relationship with him. Amen? Amen.